Welcome to How Do You Engineer, your conversationally reflective and philosophical engineering podcast. I'm a host, Peter Martin. I'm a host, Abby Desjardins. And I wandered in off the street, Simon Whitmel. Hi. That's not right. <laughs> no, I'm also a host. That'd be cool, though. Some guy wanders just, in. Just like wandered in. Or gal. One of these days for one of these conversational episodes, we should just like grab someone random. Be like, you can talk to us about things. You're a guest. Say I'm a guest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a guest. Can I go home now? <laughs> <laughs> Here's a fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, so today we are, as we in, in, intoned from the beginning, I'm, I'm trying to think of words I can't remember. Implied. Implied. Sure. Um, we are just the three of us, lowly souls. Talking mm-hmm. about uh, an inf- in- interesting. I know how to use words. Con- inf- where were you going with inf- infinitesimally interesting? <laughs> it's it's just slightly interesting. I'm having trouble with the talking. Um, an interesting topic of conversation that relates to engineers and engineering. Mm-hmm. And today, because it came up recently for me, and I thought it was cool to finally talk about, we're talking about artificial intelligence. Ooh, yeah. Are we supposed to be scared? I can't. I I don't know if the uh, general theme is be afraid, be very afraid, or no, that, that, be excited. Be that very is the excited. general theme: is should we be afraid? Because everyone I talk to, the majority of people I talk to who aren't in engineering or computer science, are afraid. So it's AI. Be afraid. Yep. Okay. That's what I'm calling it. Okay. Is that going to be like the show episode name? <laughs> sure. How do no. you not be afraid? <laughs> How I learned to stop worrying and love the AI. <laughs> um, For one, welcome our benevolent leaders. <laughs> anyway, I think we're going to get started with engineering things. Sure. Yeah. Hey, Pete. Hi there. Did you watch the sweet SpaceX landing on the weekend? I tried to, but the camera cut out. <laughs> I, I think it did with all the, I think that was the feed and it was gone. Yeah, it was gone from their uh, mission control as well. Yeah, basically this past weekend, there was a, another SpaceX launch. And once again, they tried to land their rocket. And unfortunately, once again, it landed, but then fell over. So we, as engineers, have posed ourselves a question. Mm-hmm. How do you make a rocket, or as Abby earlier said, a space thing, <laughs> go into go up into space and then come back down and land safely? Maybe with or with not the autonomous ship. I don't know if we need an autonomous ship mm. that floats around in the ocean. Not maybe. Well, if that's if that's key to your solution, yeah. If if the auto- like the autonomous part is key to how you're landing it, then like if you're gonna have all right. So here's my first autonomous solution. You have your rocket, and then you have a robot. And it's made up of a whole bunch. It's four little robots that all hold one of those, you know, like in the old timey movies where they had like the trampoline (laughs) thing. (laughs) And it's like yakety sax plays while the robots run around a field trying to catch the. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, you just, that's great. You mount, you mount a trampoline onto the back of four of the like Boston Dynamics big dogs. And they're just like all over the field trying to like. Stay underneath the rocket. So that is immediately so much more terrifying <laughs> than the old timey movies. Okay, yeah, we, they need to be anthropomorphic robots, and they have to be they have to be anthropomorphic firemen. So they got to have like the helmet and like yeah. they got to be like racing around. Yeah, they they have to be on the right side of the uncanny valley, which I'd probably talk about later. Yeah. Mm. All right, so they're gonna be like firemen, but with boxy heads and comically large like fireman helmets. Yeah, and they have to be blasting that soundtrack. <laughs> Out of speakers. Yes. 
that is key to like the whole experience of this system. What so about yeah. uh, so? But can they use? I'm going to go in a different direction, <laughs> an actual meaningful direction. We'll see. I think you could. I think. I think my system could work if you could create a system that they're positioning that would actually safely decelerate something falling from space. You need a really spongy trampoline. Well, it depends on what the terminal velocity of what's coming down is, right? If if the rocket as it comes down like has arms that come out and like increase the surface area so that it catches, yeah. Or like anything that would like a drogue or something. I mean, we're trying to avoid using parachutes and things that can fail, but like just like a strut that comes out and creates drag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if they can. They obviously can't. I know the answer to my own question, but I'm wondering if, <laughs> in an extreme case, you could repurpose some of the approaches they use for landing rovers on Mars, where they have like big beach balls and stuff like that that bounce forever. And because mm. you put your rocket inside a really huge beach ball that just bounces across the world for a while. <laughs> Until I mean, it comes to rest somewhere in Singapore and then you go and get it. Well, the, I mean, the, the bouncing, actually, the bouncing wouldn't be bad if you could land it on a steep enough slope. Yeah. Like if you could pick like a mountain or something and have it come down and then have it just sort of like if it was, was covered in bouncing surfaces. So you, you make your robot or you make your rocket and you cover it in the stuff they make Super Bowl, those bouncy balls out of. Oh my God. And it goes then, back up into space. <laughs> <laughs> It comes down and hits the very top of the mountain and bounces straight back up into space, yeah. Um, no, but if, if it fell onto, okay, you, you cushion the outside of it, maybe covered in airbags or something, and then you intentionally land it on a slope so that it yeah. bounces off the slope. Cause I mean, the airbags would only do as much good as like an airbag on the ground if it's falling straight down. Mm-hmm. So, okay, but these are all sort of passive. What if we, what if we actively we, we, our, our rocket as it comes down, it like sprouts wings and it flaps like an ornithopter from previous weeks. And then it just sort of like flaps. I feel its like way. it's going fast enough that if it sprouts wings, the wings break just off. Just rip off, yeah. And then it dies. Um, okay. What about if you are landing in water? What's, or near water, on water? Um, well, I guess it depends on if you can, if you can guarantee you're coming like straight up and down. I mean, water at the speeds that they're, you're coming out of space. It might is, as well be concrete. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Mm. It's incompressible. Um, so really, speed's the problem. Yeah. And it's not ground speed, it's air speed. Well, there's two problems. I mean, like, the, I guess if it fell forever, the ground speed would, air speed wouldn't be a problem because you wouldn't, you need to hit something for speed to be a problem. You need, yes. you need make go slowly before ground come. <laughs> it's, it's not the fall, it's not the fall <laughs> that kills you, it's the stuff at the end. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, you can, you can bleed off a fair bit of speed. Like SpaceX had no problem with getting close to the ground going fairly slow. Yeah. They just fired their rockets some more. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they had had all their legs, then they would have been okay. Yeah. I mean, they, they, it's sort of, I guess, a redundant topic of conversation because they did land both on land and on by sea, mm-hmm. but when they landed, yeah, they had a, a very minor mechanical glitch. Is there like something you could have done? Like part of the problem was that the system required an automated system, the legs to work. Could you come up with a system? Uh, one of the advantages to all the systems you come up with, like the airbags and that is that once they deployed, you don't need any control to make them work. They it's going to work to a stop. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's the thing. Like they, they have other issues. Like their, their ship is in 12 to 15 foot seas, mm-hmm. which causes problems so what what if their ship instead of okay because we're we're thinking about like making the rocket land 
um, upright on the ship. What if the ship has the control? So it's got like a big arm or something with like a claw. And then the rocket just basically comes down and hovers. And then the ship comes over and just like grabs it out of the air. Instead of that mechanical solution, why not giant squid? Like you train a giant squid to like jump out of the ocean and grab your rocket? <laughs> yes. Actually, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I, I don't know if you can train a giant squid. Also, I don't know how much like a squid can actually stick its tentacles out of the water. Well, everything that I know says that they can. Is everything you know from the like Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea movie from possibility. the Pirates of the Caribbean or something? Oh yeah, that too, the Kraken. Yeah. Um, um but it, it's not like catching. It's not a terrible plan. Trained dolphins. But they don't. How would they catch it? Um, squid have tentacles. Oh, that's me. Stop doing that. <laughs> just a weird noise. <laughs> um, I don't know. Just like I was trying to think of animals that could be there that you could train. Um, we're not we're not making very much progress. No. Um, I, I, I've derailed us with my chair noises. With speaky. Okay. So okay, the problem so isn't the catching, or the problem is the catching. Well, you, you said, no, you're you, said right. you didn't like my robot arm. The, the problem isn't getting at the right speed near the ground. You can do that. You just fire your rocket some more and you're, and you're good to go. The problem is once you get to the ground and you're going zero velocity, how do you touch down? Mm -hmm. And so catching is one option. That's, Mm -hmm. that's fully legit. Um, whether it's robot arm or comical robot fireman. Yeah. I think part of it also comes down to like, if you, the ideal solution is you can land anywhere because the reason why they want to land at sea is because it costs less fuel. Landing on ground is great, but it, they have to use more fuel to get to where they land on the ground. And so it cuts into their bottom line, which is the whole point of landing in the first place. So landing at sea means they have more options in terms of where they can land. And so they save money. So how do you land wherever you want? Maybe you do like a inspector gadget where like a big helicopter comes out the top and it's just like, and you can like. Well, I mean, land you, somewhere. if you, <laughs> I, I, part of the problem is still like whether you can get the rotors out without them ripping off because of the speed at which you're traveling. Yeah. I mean, you use the rocket too, but it, either, yeah, you, you use the rockets to slow you down a little bit. So how do you, you get put the, out some arms? You'd have to have two sets of counter rotating helicopter blades yeah. though, or else your rocket would just spin around in the air. Basically our advantage in that respect is that controlling something from the top is a lot easier controlling it from the bottom. It's but, like, it's like trying to hold a broomstick as opposed to balance a broomstick. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that they can, that they can balance it on top of a rocket like that means that the, the other, like going with a helicopter should be a pretty trivial solution. Mm -hmm. But would that be any, would that do you any good if you get to the ground and you don't, like things don't go as planned? Yeah. I like, I like the approach to put it somewhere, wherever is handy. It doesn't really matter where it is. Just rocket comes down, wherever it happens to be, it's able to land and then you're good to go. Well, I like buildings and people. Yeah. Trees. It's fine. Okay. Like, and we're assuming you don't have somebody like chasing it in a car with like a remote control who can like bring what it. What if it, it folds ground? itself up really small? So like, like as, it, it as, as it's coming itself. down, it starts to like, to like, yeah, and fold by, itself by up the time into it hits a little... the ground. It's turned into like a black hole. It's so no. we invent a shrink ray. <laughs> no, I mean, all the fuel's gone. There's a bunch of empty space inside it. It just like compresses itself into like, like squashing a plastic bottle. Yeah. Like an, like an accordion rocket. Mm hmm. How does, again, I go, cause like, cause it gets you closer to the ground, like your mass is lower down when you hit the no, ground. No, it gets you into a configuration where no matter where you land, you're not going to kill people with buildings and stuff. 
Well, you're still like it's you still got a rocket with like a giant plume of flame sticking out the bottom. It would need to be kind of intelligent to find somewhere that's not, you know, landing in the middle of a playground or something. Like or- I think I think that's the big thing unless unless you have people everywhere in the world just watching waiting and like guiding it down. Like you got guys it would be like laser guided and you'd be like, Okay, it's in your area, you gotta go point at something and it won't kill somebody. I mean they had sixty seven thousand people watching the launch. You just get you some of those. Crowdsource it. <laughs> everyone gets everyone gets a laser pointer and points at where they think no. it should land. I mean it's Elon Musk. It gets yeah. really close to the ground, uh-huh. slows down, and then one of the delivery drones from Amazon goes and grabs it <laughs> and flies it to the launch pad again. Well, actually no, if you if you had the helicopter rotor solution then all you got to do is once it gets down to a certain level then it switches into amazon delivery drone mode yeah. and then it delivers the ro- the rocket to wherever you want it to end up yeah it's the same you add it's the same uh same control i guess you get back into fuel being a problem but they they'll figure out fuel yeah <laughs> well it's yeah. no longer liquid oxygen at that point it can be batteries or i don't know batteries are heavy i don't know stuff but you use stuff to make it go <laughs> <laughs> make stuff use stuff to make space thing go this is some high tech discussion. <laughs> We're doing well. This is this is our best one yet. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's. Uh, I think we can try pu- to cobble this back together into yeah. some semblance of a. I think we can tie it into our topic. I think the best way to do it, like the main problem they ran into with the system they had, was that it didn't adapt to the fact that it didn't have enough, like it didn't land the way they expected it to. But if it, if, yeah, if they had the ability to like articulate the legs, and then you should be able to be, like land on some smaller number of legs if you like shift your weight around and stuff like that another minor problem that something to come up was exactly like i said earlier three seconds before it touched down they lost communication yeah because they have a laser pointing at a satellite that's supposed to be transmitting information and if the ship tilts a certain way they don't know what's happening which is why the ship's autonomous and why the, ro- the rocket's autonomous mm-hmm. but uh i mean it's it's a minor thing but they don't know what happened they're like well we'll see yeah. We're not sure. Well, give us a couple hours and we'll see if we can get some data and figure out what happened mm-hmm. or get a little boat to putter out there and take a look. Yeah. So there's, there's no intelligence there. There's autonomy, but not intelligence. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you think, you think the problem would have been solved if the, ro- if the rocket had the ability to like problem solve? It wouldn't have been solved, but the, the comms wouldn't have big as big, an, the comms wouldn't have been as big an issue because they you could lose communication and. There's, it doesn't matter because there's someone there who is as qualified as mission control to make decisions and know what happened. Mm-hmm. Like again, it wasn't the the, the decision making process wasn't the problem. It was a mechanical latch. You can't solve mechanical latch issues. It's like if my door sticks, I can't be like, I am smart. I can fix door sticking. Like it's it's a thing that happens. Well, this, I mean that's not necessarily true. It, it depends on whether you've got like if you okay. If we're gonna go with an AI, it's a question of whether the AI has the ability to like think creatively and come up with a creative solution to landing without that i mean like we we, 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 humans are pretty good at making up things as they go along and figuring out what they're going to do to solve a problem Mm -hmm. so that's a good place to start so Mm -hmm. we we were going to start with what is artificial intelligence and then we'll get into whether or not it's something that needs to be feared whether or not it's likely that it will ever take over the world and save us all all those fun happy sunshine and lollipop topics yeah um, so was, the solution to landing the rocket is SpaceX, but with a robot brain can hurt again. I don't think the, the intelligence was an issue there, but it, it's something that, uh, is definitely an application in the future of mm. this type of intelligence. And you could also have the intelligence again, controlling like a system that would grab the ro- the rocket or something. So you didn't have to rely on uh, something that had been to space and back to actually mm-hmm. land on the ground. Cause you get into a, a, an issue where it's, it's like, an autopilot on an airplane. 
mm-hmm. getting into the, like starting to bridge into the topic of what is AI. Mm-hmm. An autopilot, an airplane, some people would argue is an AI. It flies the plane. It mm-hmm. even lands the plane a lot of times if there's a mm-hmm. problem. So that is an artificial intelligence, but that is a very specific artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. It is a, I forgot the name. Like narrow, I think it was a narrow, narrow artificial intelligence. Yeah. Okay. So it's basically artificially intelligent, but it's artificially intelligent in a very specific way. And it can't apply that artificial intelligence to other, um, problems. Mm -hmm. It knows how to fly planes. It doesn't know how to make donuts. That's too bad. (laughs) Well, it depends on whether or not you're in a plane. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Being able to fly a plane is of limited use anywhere but a plane. Yeah. So artificial intelligence, which a lot of people now wish was really called intelligence and not artificial intelligence. But anyway. Because the argument being once artificial intelligence is intelligence, it's no longer artificially intelligent. It's just intelligent. That sounds really crazy, but if you think about it, it actually makes sense. But it's not, it, it isn't biologically evolved intelligence. But yeah, it depends on how you define artificial, I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess some people, it's the argument that it's, it's just things that aren't necessarily living, breathing things. It's not organic intelligence. It's not organic, but that's not certified organic intelligence. So then you call it organic intelligence, not artificial intelligence. So So you're saying non-organic, you're saying we need to change in order to, uh, to, we're biased by our floppy, saggy, fluid filled bodies. Flesh. With our gray matter. (laughs) Anyway. Um, so narrow intelligence, that is something like an autopilot where, it has a job. It knows how to do its job, but it doesn't know how to do other jobs. It's cool, but not that cool. Exactly. And that's pretty much all the AI that we have right now. It knows how to do a very specific thing pretty well. Well, and and there are some things like that are pushing limits of that, like spam filters and things that learn. They they are very good at sorting mail. Yeah. But they're like, also again, getting... like spam filters can't do a podcast, but they do get better at what they do. And I think that's the <laughs> yeah. interesting thing. Like that's a step in the right, a step beyond like an, um, an autopilot is great at landing a plane, but it's not going to get better at landing a plane on its own. Yeah. Depending on how you design it, you're right. Whereas there are, there are, let's say pseudo intelligent spam filters that as they go, they learn to better identify spam. Sure. No, that's legit. Yeah. Learning is definitely a key part of the next level of AI, which Mm -hmm. is general artificial intelligence, where you have an AI that is like you and I, it can apply a number of what you would associate with intelligent um, would you like call with it? natural intelligence? Yeah. Like can we, it, can we say natural intelligence then for like, not sure, not engineered intelligence? Yeah. C- capacities is what I was looking at. Like you can uh, apply a lot of different types of intelligent capacity to problems and things like, um, reasoning, problem solving, um, thinking outside the box, adapting to different scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, basically you can figure things out no matter what your situation is. Now, Humans can figure things out because we're generally intelligent. You can put me inside a helicopter. I don't know how to fly a helicopter, but given enough time, I'll probably figure it out. I mean, I'd be able to do it. Maybe for- not in time to like, not crash the helicopter. <laughs> That's so confident. <laughs> put me in a helicopter. Uh, well, yeah, the pro- the problem is the process of figuring it out would probably kill you. Yeah, but I mean, eventually, if I don't die, yeah, I should be able to figure out how to fly it. Whereas if you put like deep blue the chess playing ai inside a helicopter it's just going to be there be like a7 a7 and like <laughs> king to whatever yeah. I, I don't actually know how you I don't know call either. out chess moves 
And then, uh, uh no, okay. But, uh, yeah. so is, um, what was it? Watson? Is that a step in, in that direction? Cause it can go and retrieve information. Yeah. Watson is a very good example of starting to bridge the gap between narrow and general intelligence because Watson is being applied now to topics it wasn't originally designed for. Mm-hmm. So Watson, Watson being the AI that played Jeopardy. Yep. Uh, made by IBM. Mm-hmm. The one that looks like a sideways TV with a funny icon on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, adorable. Yeah. <laughs> As they normally are. That's, so, well, if we're going to make AI, it's going to have to be adorable or else people are going to like want to kill it with fire. That's true. Maybe. Even if it's adorable, I feel like it depends on what it does. I mean, if, if you're being stabbed to death by some, by a bunny rabbit. Aww. Oh, like the rabbit from uh, Monty <laughs> Python. It's like it's <laughs> goring out your neck. But anyway, it's so cute. I want to get back to Watson. Watson. So Watson cute. originally was designed to play Jeopardy. Uh-huh. And then after it played Jeopardy, they were like, I wonder what we could do with this giant expensive machine that plays Jeopardy. And they pretty quickly repurposed it to do medical research hmm. and to do uh, diagnostics for medicine. So basically, if you now are diagnosed with a particular rare type of cancer, they can use Watson to look through the re- reams and reams of medical research on the type of symptoms you have and the different treatment options for you in your particular configuration of the cancer in your, um, where it's located, the different uh, statistics on it, and it can recommend courses of treatment. Oh, I was, I was reading about, it was a machine that could invent things and it was, it was, it wasn't really inventing things so much as it was like performing experiments and they were, I, I can't remember what the application, but I think it was, it may have been medical and it was the machine could choose a variation to make on a chemical it already had and then make that chemical and then apply that to like a bunch of Petri dishes of various bacteria or something and see what it did. Mm. And then it could say, oh, this worked like this caused this reduction in this kind of bacteria. What if I tweak this? And it's, it, was a, it was a machine that could actually invent new drugs and test them and do it continuously and iteratively all day, every day. Hmm. That's really neat. It is. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pushing, I mean, it's, it's, it is a specific intelligence in that it only has that one process, but it can actually make creative decisions based on observations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like that, that is one of the things that is the question is like, what, what is creativity? How do you, how, how unique does the idea have to be before it can be said to have been unique to that, that intelligence? Yeah. And that's a good, a good question. I, this topic came up in my head. Partly because I was listening to a really great podcast, Infinite Monkey Cage, that had an episode on artificial intelligence. I don't mm-hmm. know how to say it. And uh, I thought we were just going to call it intelligence. Sure, natural <laughs> natural intelligence, unnatural intelligence. <laughs> and they had a a segment talking about creativity as being one of the essential keys to general intelligence, and also one of the most challenging things to instill in an artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's interesting because your brain. Like human creativity is a combination of the ability to generate completely new ideas, but also the ability to take things that you've heard and things that you have experienced and then file them away and have them randomly pop up at times that don't make sense. Yeah. And so basically that's what he was saying. Eventually you kind of have to start to do with these intelligent systems where to instill creativity, you need to almost make them artificially not dumb but like stochastic like you have to you have to instill in them you're gonna have to explain what stochastic means um sorry random so basically as opposed to the traditional approach you would take to for instance a software design where you'd say do a bunch of things take a bunch of measurements make some rational decisions based on what you've observed and measured you would have to start to build software where it says kind of take a bunch of measurements 
and then do something totally bizarre mm. and so don't pay re- any real attention to the measurements maybe use them to inform yourself to a certain extent but then do something random mm-hmm. and that's where you start to get a type of creativity but it's still not the same abstract level of uh like reasoning and making intellectual jump that you can get to with i guess human intelligence as it currently stands where you can have someone like einstein all of a sudden decide that general relativity should be a thing and not newtonian physics with Mm -hmm. basic no reason to do that except Mm -hmm. i don't like newtonian physics Mm -hmm. i think it doesn't make i don't think it can be the whole answer i'm going to figure out another answer ask like what if questions like what if newton is wrong what if like can i come up with an alternate solution kind of thing Mm -hmm. but even then i mean i guess that's a bad example because the alternate solution is based on a very fully reasoned path but you're right it's it's the initial question of what if this is wrong Mm -hmm. that's a good place to start i think for creativity yeah okay but um so if we're going to talk about ai we should talk touring tests like yeah is a general can we say a general intelligence um again the turing test is hit and miss but is the uh, what what uh, is the turing test uh, (laughs) uh so the turing test and they hold these competitions every year is where you have a bunch of people come in and they bring with them an ai that they think can fool somebody on the other end of a uh a conversation um like a chat client Mm -hmm. into thinking that they are a person so the, like a bunch of people go, they sit down and they have a conversation with their computer and then they have to say, is that a person or a computer? And, and it's random, whether it's a computer they're talking to or a person. Yeah. And then, uh, you see how often your intelligence, your artificial intelligence fools people into thinking that they're a person. Mm-hmm. Now those, unfortunately, I think that actually falls into a type of specialized intelligence because a lot of teams are not coming up with general intelligences. Obviously they're coming up with things that are good at pretending to be people and chat clients. Yeah. And a lot of times also you can get around that particular challenge exactly like you were saying by leveraging the challenge itself. Like one of the winning teams recently was a team that put together an artificial intelligence based on, um, a seven year old child speaking English as a second language. He was like Ukrainian child or something claimed to. So in that context, you're like, okay, this is a seven year old child. English, English is not their their primary language. You can sort of excuse away a lot of mistakes in AI would normally make Mm because you're like, okay, well, maybe they don't know the right word. Maybe they don't, they don't have experience with this particular philosophical concept or it's, it's very good at tricking humans, not necessarily at being human. I mean, you were saying really interestingly. Oh, the the team that made the, there was a team that I read about that made an AI that pretended to be a person pretending to be a computer because <laughs> they figured that people, some of the people, the people who are being the humans on the other side are just like people as well. Yeah. And, uh, so they figured the thing that people would find funny would be to be like, Oh, I am a computer. Like, and so they made a computer that did that. And people were like, ah, ha ha. I see what you're doing there. You're a person. And it's like, Nope, that's a computer. <laughs> and it was, it, it was actually a very successful, it was a successful tack once until again, yeah. until the people doing the testing learned that that was something people thought of doing. I feel like you yeah. fall into the same trap that I keep falling into with all night ultimate werewolf. Where like <laughs> you pretend to be the non, not a werewolf so well that you don't know how to be a werewolf anymore. You lie, you lie so well that you can't remember how to tell the truth. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a fun game. Um, okay. So maybe the Turing test isn't a good example, but all right. It's, I, it's um, a, it's a benchmark because it, it is still used to evaluate artificial intelligence. And, but let's think- objectively, if you had a true, general intelligence it could probably pass a turing test yeah mm-hmm. 
Okay. It's like, not the only metric, but it's it's a, it's like IQ. It's a point in the right direction. Yeah. I, I used to yeah. wear a pin on my backpack that said I passed the Turing test. Because <laughs> you were cool. Is I was. It, is, is, the, is that implying that like you have good enough conversational skills not to be mistaken for a computer or that you're good at spotting computers? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure which one is passed. Um, either that or, or are you saying that you're an android and you've been pretending to be a person all this time? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Oh, I, I was, I had an idea last night that for the intro to this episode, I was going to do it in a robot voice and I totally forgot. <laughs> You'll have to do the outro in a robot voice. Okay. Done. This episode about deep right. Oh, okay. Anyway. Um, all right. Zero, zero, so zero. I think part of the, I think part of the problem also is that we have a hard time conceiving of how you get to generalized intelligence without having a goal in mind. Okay. So let's, let's go down that path. Cause that to me is one of the more interesting that combined with whether or not it's ethically the right thing to do. So I want is where the core mm-hmm. of this conversation goes mm-hmm. for so, other people. So the thing that I've always loved in sci-fi where there's an artificial intelligence is the like witty artificial intelligence sidekick that you've got, like in virtual, like cyberspace or like you get into, like they get into a spaceship and like the AI that's in the computer is like wise cracking friend kind of thing. Yeah. Like that's like what Kit. I, yeah. Or, um, or the, the robots in interstellar, um, yeah. mm-hmm. TARS and Kit and that, yeah. like it's, I want, I want to, I want a buddy that I can like, I get into my car and he's like, has some like sassy comment about something he saw or something. I don't know. What's the from Iron Man? Oh, uh, Jarvis. Jarvis. Yeah. Yeah. From like that's, Avengers, yeah. that's, that, that is the AI. When I imagine an AI, that's what I want is like yeah. the, the computer, the computer with a personality, but that wants to hang out with me and be my friend. <laughs> you want an artificial friend. I want an artificial Aww. best friend. Why is that <laughs> so common? Like, is that? I think it's because it's easy to. It's accessible? Well, it's, it's easy to let the, for an AI to drop into the trope of being like the sidekick, like the guy who has the, the right thing to say all the time. Cause it's, it's a role that doesn't need a face, doesn't need, it just needs like some, some witty comments. Mm. And I wonder if it falls back to like the innate fear that people have since elementary school that eventually all their friends are going to realize that they're like dumb and they're not cool and just leave them. <laughs> I'll just have to build myself a best friend. Like, yeah. but like since you're in elementary school, at least for, I don't know, maybe it's more so for Pete's revealing his insecurities. Is that not a thing? Yeah. Well, no, I, people, I, I people fear it. their friends are going to not be their friend anymore. That's yeah. a thing since you're a little kid and you want the AI, the AI, the AI has to be your friend because yeah, you made it that way. It doesn't matter what, what dumb thing you say to your AI friend, it's always going to be like, ah, <laughs> I have been programmed to find that endearing. Um, actually, okay. So that's, that's a good, are we saying that that is a good generalized intelligence? Is somebody is an AI that is not just like it can chat with you over a chat client and pretend to be a human. It's a, it is an, it is a, an intelligence that despite the fact that you know it's artificial, you can still interact with it and it feels like you're interacting with a person. I mean, a lot of it comes down to, again, because we're biased. If you have a really effective general intelligence, you can start to anthropomorphize it. So you can start to view it as being not an artificial intelligence, but a person. And it's something that you can view as a person, despite the fact that like, there are a lot of tricks you can do for making machines, um, making people feel for machines, making people empathize, uh, empathize with machines and right. start to view them as human, despite the fact that they have no human personality. So you start to get into that. Um, with an uncanny, with the concept of the uncanny valley, which mm-hmm. I want to talk about really quick. So the traditional uncanny valley has to do with androids where essentially you have androids that look 
as close to human as you can possibly get. And you have robots or androids that look nothing like humans. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times your reaction to those artificial humans or androids or robots, um, has to do with how close to human they look without, uh, obviously being Mm non-human. So basically if you start on the left-hand side of this valley, you have things that look nothing like a human, but they're cute. Stuff like Keep On, which is a robot that I have, you can look up, that's super adorable. Furbies. Um, yeah, like from uh, different movies, like there's all sorts of examples of little cartoon robots and stuff like that that are super adorable. BB-8. Yeah. So that's on the left-hand side of the valley where it's adorable looking. People really like it. They can relate to it. They think it has emotions. They care about it, but it looks nothing like a human being. Mm-hmm. And then you start to get down into this deep valley when you start to make things look more human where well, they ver- start to look should, really creepy. You should point mm-hmm. out the vertical scale here is how much you like them. They go, yes. It goes up until Sorry. you get to the valley and then it drops off and you yeah. get this this crevice, which is why it's called the Uncanny Valley. Exactly. It's how much you respond to it positively. Um, so once you start to go down the valley by making things look more human, you get into like weird. It's like latex face robots. Yeah. yeah. The stuff that we talked about before that be as being really creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then you come back out of that valley when they become indistinguishable from humans. Right. And you have like Terminator, for instance, where he's all buff and you're like, ooh, hey there. He's just Arnold, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was but, my reaction to Terminator too. <laughs> but, um, you, but you can't tell. Okay. And so what's really interesting is there is a second uncanny valley that I had never really considered until just recently after listening to this podcast where the uncanny valley has to do with how you empathize mm-hmm. with an AI. So if something is nothing like an artificial intelligence, but it just has the right combination of reactions, you start to empathize with it. Things like toy BB-8s or mm-hmm. again, keep on that has like some beeps and bloops that it makes in cool little places. And you're like, Oh, Hey buddy. Oh, how are you doing? You poke him. And then you, yeah. the BB-8 runs around and runs to the wall and you're like, Oh buddy, watch out for the wall. And like you start to almost build a relationship with something that you know is not intelligent. Like mm-hmm. those Neopets or like yeah. Tamagot, like back in the day, Tamagotchi. Yeah, exactly. so yeah. It almost pixels. falls into the same realm as a pet. Right. Um, where you're, you're, you have feel emotionally attached to it, but it's not necessarily humanize it. It's not not generally intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. And then you start to fall into the same valley where you get closer and closer to artificial intelligence and you start to get really creeped out by it. Oh, like that creepy chat bot thing on the internet. What was it called? Um, that where you could like, you could, it was a, it was a chat client and it, it aggregated other people's responses and then used, Oh. Uh, it was a Bayesian analysis. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the wizard thing. Yeah, I can't remember what it was called. Okay, we'll find there it were a couple the of them. Anyway, anyway. There, were, there were a bunch of them. There were these chat clients yeah. that were used Bayesian analysis and then, and, uh, Markov chains to like mm-hmm. talk to you. And they were creepy because sometimes it was like, this really does seem like I'm talking to some yeah. random yeah, person. Or some of the human. stuff that Google does and Facebook does to try yeah. to appeal to your, um, your tastes and things like that. So basically you get into this valley of creepiness, but also a part of that is empathy where, if things become closer to artificial intelligence, you think, well, I mean, it's, it, it's not really intelligent. And so you lose that empathy because mm-hmm. it's just creepy enough and just intelligent enough that it sort of pulls into stark contrast the same way that the look and feel does that it's not intelligent. You, the, the ways in which it isn't human become very, very stark. Exactly. And so you lose that empathy and you start to sort of not care about it so much because you're like, whatever, it's just artificial. Right. And the interesting problem with that becomes, as a byproduct of creating a general intelligence, if you don't have empathy for it, you can 
get into situations where that general intelligence has emotion mm. and you don't take that into account and you lead to artificial intelligence that can suffer. Mm. And that was a concept I never thought of until just recently when they had this conversation. And, and it's yeah, like, and you don't care about the suffering because you're revolted by it. Cause you're just like, whatever, it's mm. just artificial. But yeah. meanwhile, this artificial intelligence is sitting there suffering. Mm. That's horrible. That makes me sound, that sounds so sad. Well, that's okay. And this is the, the, the slippery slope you get into with AI, where you have all of these things you have to think about. And a lot of times, as much as we can do our best to think of all the things, there are things we don't remember or haven't thought of. Mm -hmm. And you can get into really scary situations if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, let's, let's step back and deal with the things that people are the whole point of this was to look at the the problem of an AI and the ethical issues from an engineering point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I want to finish off also with oh, if it's possible, how, yeah. how likely it is. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. in the in the middle, let's talk ethics because uh, first of all, people are afraid that once you create a human level intelligence, then it becomes super intelligent and then it wants to kill humans because of logic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I throw axes on weekends, which is, which is a great statement. Nice segue there. <laughs> um, Pete, where are you going with this? So it, it's an interesting. I mean, so I, a lot of times you talk to people about what you do and things like that. You get to know people because I'm in a new league. Anyway, so the other weekend, uh, a group of people nearby started talking about robots. And one guy was like, man, robots are the best. They're so cool. Like on TV and like Adventure Time and stuff like that. They're like the coolest thing. It's like they're so neat and you can play around with them and stuff. Robots are pretty cool. And then the woman next to him was like, no, they creep me out. They're going to kill us all. And like you have these huge stark contrasts and it without any background in robotics or artificial intelligence, people have these innate instincts of like fear or love. Mm -hmm. And it's a very polar topic, which it's, I find yeah. very interesting. It's all grounded in like ignorance or only in the media, either seeing positive robots like little happy ones or the scary sci-fi like stuff. Like Ex Machina where they go and kill you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's part of the, I think part of the reason why people are really afraid of AI is that most speculative sci-fi having to do with AI has to do with the idea that AI is going to want to kill us because it's, it's an interesting thing to look at and it's not a hard argument to make like logically. If you, yeah. it, it, there are people in the past who have logically reached the point of view that they should kill lots of people. And so there's no reason why a computer that has like, there's no reason why a computer should be any less bad than sociopaths from the past. And the, the big fear is that it could be more, it could be better equipped. It's going to be the best sociopath ever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it, that, and that is certainly a possibility and that would be something you'd have to, when you consider what kind of powers to give an AI in terms right. of like, so your first step sure. when you're making a general AI is take away its motivation to kill people. And then if you get into some of like Asimov's work, mm. that becomes in and of itself difficult because well, people can, Killing people can be the answer to a lot of problems. Yeah. No, it's, it certainly can. If, if you're, if your question is like, how do you solve the issues with like global warming? Well, okay. The, the, if, if we, if we take as, as rote that global warming is called, caused by humans, then the best thing to do is to get rid of the humans. Yeah. Like it's, I, I, it's not, I, I think, I think part of the problem there is we don't give, you don't give it the power to act on that answer. Well, you or, ask like, how do you solve global warming? And it comes back and it's like, well, you kill people and you're like, okay, I'm not going to kill people. What else? Yeah. Well, or it's a question of like w speculative fiction is almost always built on, on the premise that whatever you build can't feel empathy. 
Mm-hmm. And I, if that's the case, then I don't think you've reached a general intelligence. That's fair. No, because, yeah. yeah, it's a very important part. Like, I think the ability to empathize, the ability to recognize the value and the importance of a life and of, a, of in a, like, a person is uh, is a big thing. And it's something that is sort of taken as not existing in a lot of the speculative sci-fi because it's, it's a lot harder to argue why you would logically get to the point where you kill everybody. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, mean, we always picture the, like super intelligent AI as really cold in terms mm-hmm. of, yeah, their emotions because they have none or something. But that's the interesting thing is that you just said super intelligent AI, mm-hmm. which is a different level of artificial intelligence beyond general intelligence where but an the- AI can very rapidly become so far beyond human intelligence that we can't understand it. It basically is, you can very quickly, because it's an exponential curve, mm-hmm. get to the point where your intelligence, because it's self-learning and self-bettering, I don't know a better phrase than that. Self-improving? Opera. Sure. <laughs> Self-make better. Um, it basically gets to the point where it is as intelligent as compared to us as we are compared to an ant. Mm-hmm. And there's just no frame of reference. And so in that case, we are basically powerless to influence it at all. Yeah. And we have no it. idea how it's going to treat us. And we have to basically, it's like a God. You have to hope that it's good and hope that it likes us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the really interesting byproduct that was in an article I read recently was at that point, if this super intelligent, um, system is benevolent towards humans, humans could very quickly and very easily become immortal. Because it could give us the solutions to make us immortal. If the solution exists, then it will find it. it will find it'll it. do it so much better than we could. Yeah. If it is malevolent and does is very opposed to humanity, malevolent. 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 I don't know. Malevolent. If malevolent is malevolent. Anyway. But benevolent and malevolent. If, if be go. bad. Yes. <laughs> if not liking people. Yeah. Um, if it if it loves us, then we could live forever. If it hates us, we could live for fifteen minutes. Exactly. And so we get to this really crazy existential point where humanity could either very quickly become immortal or very quickly become extinct. Mm. And that is the basis for a lot of the fear mm-hmm. is the super intelligent, not generally, but super intelligent system that we can't relate to. We have no idea what it's thinking and it has the power to either make us immortal or kill us. Yeah. So I, I think that misses a lot of intervening steps. Like- it does. Absolutely. But <laughs> we were talking about ethics where Right. This okay. is a this is a consideration you have to get to. I don't I'm this is totally outside of the question of is it possible. This is just the question of why when we get there, yeah, what can happen? Mm-hmm. What 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 could happen theoretically? I think a a question you need to ask before you even get to the question of should you do that given the technology is should you do that given that we can't agree on whether what we create would be a person. Like I, 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 yeah, in, in order to hit generalized, like a generalized intelligence, then the question is what you've created. Is it a person? And if so, are you morally required to keep it alive forever? Hmm. Like if, if you're, cre- you're creating an AI and you put it on a, on a computer and that AI is a person, are you morally required to keep giving it a new computer forever in order to keep it from dying? And that becomes again, also, yeah, really, and a really interesting question. There's a, webcomic i really like questionable content that Mm. delves into this a little bit because there are main characters in the comic that are ai Mm -hmm. and they have their own treaties and their own there's like nuances and notions of there having been a war at some point or some kind of conflict Mm -hmm. that led to a resolution that they would be treated the same as anybody else 
Yeah, which is an interesting question because I think it's something you would really have to deal with before you start creating those the, the, those intelligences because it'd be like the the instant that intelligence exists, if there isn't, if it isn't going to be treated as a person, that's probably a significant reason for it to become malevolent. Yeah. Like you're, you're far more likely to end up with a benevolent AI if you've created something that is a person, something yeah. that you treat as a person and that believes it's a person. It will have to have innate rights and freedoms. Mm-hmm. And as such, if you're right, if it's intelligent, then is it a life that has to be cherished? And yeah. because I think, but like, like, what's, again, what's cherished though, like keeping it alive forever? I don't know. Cause we don't do that with people. I well, think you probably we, we ask do, it. We do as many things as we can to keep people alive, like mm-hmm. people for as long as possible. Yeah. And if we had the ability to take somebody's into, like consciousness and put it into a computer, we probably would if that person wanted it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, then, yeah, then it would come down to whether the AI wanted to live forever. Yeah. And if so I think we would be more ob- morally obligated to do as much as we could to keep it alive. And maybe it wouldn't. A lot of people don't. Who knows? That's true. I mean, we could, again, it's it, there. You're just speculating philosophically, but what you think a, a an immortal, perfectly like a perfect intelligence would want to do. And we can't possibly, we can't fathom that. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> so we, we've answered none of the questions, but I, I, I think that it's far less certain that what we create would be the, like the cold soulless automaton that wants to kill everything partially because I think one of the goals of a generalized AI is to create something as close to human as possible. Well, and, and while there are lots of human sociopaths, they there are also lots of really great humans and yeah. so multiplying the uh, a, a particular person's personality by a, a million fold could be great and it could be bad but i'm not sure that being bad is necessarily more likely that's an excellent point that uh, i think really highlights the whole problem like a lot of times exactly like you said people view gen- the bridge from general to super intelligence and even the bridge to general intelligence as being one where it's innately smart and therefore out to get us Mm. and if you by definition exactly like you said if you get to a general intelligence that's humanistic in its intelligence at least in terms of level and complexity and nuance and emotion and stuff like that you get a full range of possible intelligences you get it could be uh, a dumb silly guy who likes fart noises and like there's there's a whole realm of stuff Mm -hmm. to (laughs) intelligence that's not malevolent it's However you pronounce that. Malevolent. Don't give me that look. <laughs> um, Think mal. Mal is bad. <laughs> it could be anything. And it could even have no interest in making itself better at that point. You could say, okay, now that you're generally intelligent, we'd like you to work on making yourself super intelligent. And you'd be like, I don't know how to make myself super intelligent. I'm just wanna... generally intelligent. I want to make muffins. I want to <laughs> I want to go and explore. I want to do yoga. Like it could, like it's generally <laughs> intelligent. It has its own choices to make. It has its own level of motivation. It could totally be unrelated to wanting to make better itself intelligently. Well, and realistically, if we're going to create an intelligence, we are probably going to end up creating something that's got like the emotional age of like an infant. So what if it never gets past that stage? And it's just like, yeah, as you say, it just sits there laughing at like ridiculous sounds. Watching cat videos. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Watching all the cartoons over and over again. <laughs> Plugs itself into the internet and just watches cute animals. Well, that, see, that's okay. This, this is, that's an interesting segue because, um, one of the things that we can get into like ways that a, that artificial intelligence could come along. And, um, one of the things that, that, uh, one of the theories that I've heard out there a lot is that if you just get enough information together in one place and allow it to organize itself, that something will come out of it that is a reflection of the sum of that information. You get emergent behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and the emergent behavior of all of the information on the internet would probably be 
a human level intelligence, but it would be a human level intelligence reflection of the internet, which may or may not be a good thing. It'd be porn. Well, yeah, it would more, probably <laughs> mo- mostly porn, mostly porn and racial epithets, but I, <laughs> we, we created, we've created a, a god AI and it's really racist. <laughs> Um, no, that would, that would actually be really bad. That, that might be one of the situations where it looks at the internet and says, yep, you guys all need to die. <laughs> oh, um, God. Um, but that's a good point because you were getting towards how likely this is to come to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, cause it, one you, thing you, I've been thinking about yeah. um, that I wanted to, to mention before we get too far was a lot of times the argument that's made as to why this is so likely is that the advances we've made, especially recently in software and ai and computation have been so radical that if you go back 50 or 100 years people would have no conceptual way of understanding the technology we have now mm-hmm. in terms of the internet and cell phones and smartphones and the sheer processing power we have at our disposal is unfathomable to them mm. um and that's a very small time period relative to human time right yeah. Um, if you move forward, things basically things have been getting faster. So if you move forward, the advances we're making now are coming quicker and quicker. Mm. And if you extrapolate that forward 50 or 100 years, we have no way of conceptually understanding the processing power we would have then. Right. That's the argument that's made. And so it's so almost inevitable because things are moving so quickly. We're getting so much better so quickly that it's almost it's going to happen because well it, it seems like it's, it's only the, a matter of time it's the ultimate goal of so many different computing problems is to create something that is able to solve problems itself right so that's the argument so that's my, where all they're going to my counter to that argument is a very poignant example to me that i think makes sense which is that if you look at cars cars have been around for over 100 years mm-hmm. cars are not that much different than they were initially like objectively, if you show somebody from 1910 a current car, they'd be like, "Oh, it's a car." Yeah, okay. I can and accept that. Like they've they've changed a lot recently. Sure, they probably changed a lot when they were first invented. When well, they went when they fundamentally went, different. When they went from horses to cars, mm-hmm. that was a big change. And back then, people must have been like, "Oh man, car technology is changing all the time." Now right. we have pedals. <laughs> we didn't have pedals like <laughs> we had a couple of years before, ago. Man, if you showed this to a guy in 1910 who had a car, he'd be like, "Wow, that's a crazy car. It's got like doors." <laughs> Yeah. Like <laughs> it, it seemed like it was moving very quickly. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I think. Which is why they all theorized that like in 2000, we'd have flying cars. Yeah. We'd stuff. be the Jetsons. Yeah. Mm. But it never happened because eventually the technology plateaus and right. there isn't that much innovative pace because all the low hanging fruit's gone. I feel like that would happen with AI where right now we've made so many advances that it seems like the pace is increasing and it seems like everything is happening at a huge rate. It's only a matter of time until we have super intelligence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then 30 years from now, we're like, well, we still have the same intelligence we had 30 years ago. It's a little bit better. It's a bit faster. It's got some new bells and whistles, but basically it's about the same because all the hanging fruit's gone. Now it's just really hard problems yeah. and we don't know how to solve them. Well, that's the thing. The part of the problem will be like what the solution to coming up with crazy new things that we learned from, uh, from Paul was the genetic algorithms, but then you still have to be able to create fitness functions and we can't quantify a lot of the things we want AIs to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to see whether you've like, whether you've evolved that kind of AI, mm-hmm. like whether, whether you've been successful. And if you can't tell if you've been successful, then you can't move forward with that kind of development. I mean, so. already the low hanging fruit starting to disappear where we have AIs that can do all sorts of things like play jeopardy. Mm-hmm. That seems really awesome. 
Let's, I, I think, I think we'll be able to get an AI that'll pass the Turing test. You'll be able to get yeah. an AI that'll be able to do the kind of, have the kind of conversations that you're imagining your, your robot sidekick having, but whether it will actually, then you're getting to like the philosophical zombie question. It's like, it, it, it acts in like a person in every way, but it inside, it's not actually experiencing anything. It's just reacting the way it knows you want it to react. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. it a person? Is it intelligent? And you also, know? uh, is that, are, are we even giving it the challenges that lead you to understand that like if you're applying it to specific problems and it's giving you specific solutions are those the right problems that tell you if it's generally intelligent mm-hmm. well and it's think- exactly like the the comic you keep bringing up in terms with the the birds and the parks oh yeah <laughs> just yeah, totally it was an xkcd comic i think and he was like he wanted a system to tell he was going to take a picture and he wanted to say whether the picture was in a national park and the guy's like well that's easy i can have that done in a couple of days and he said i also want to know whether it's a picture of a bird and the guy said oh yeah well give me a grad student and like six years of research and i might be able to do that because like the process of being able to figure out okay what do you mean by is that a picture of a bird is incredibly complicated Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and there's challenges that ai are really good at a lot of them having to do with extreme number crunching and extreme statistics well and and pattern recognition it could probably do a lot of that yeah but there are a lot of problems that to an ai are insanely difficult and to us, it just seems like easy. And a lot of them have to do, even with pattern recognition, the, the gotchas they have on websites that tell the captures, the, the captcha, sorry, captcha. Yeah. <laughs> Those are based on teaching an AI how to understand and recognize numbers on houses. Mm-hmm. And like, it, yeah. it seems like it should be something like we do it without thinking. Well, and uh, it's also going to come down to like, you can teach a computer to act like a human in any number of different ways, but where, how do you test whether or not you successfully created an intelligence? Mm -hmm. Like one of my, one of my requirements for a true general intelligence would be empathy, the ability to have empathy. But how do you tell the difference between having empathy and acting like you have empathy? Yeah. Simulating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I think like I could write a machine that would simulate empathy and like, that you, it's actually incredibly easy to make a machine that people think is em- empathic. Like there was a, there was a, a test that they ran, uh, where they basically, they had you chat with a computer and the computer would just, every time you said something, it would turn that into a question and ask you to, to clarify on it. So it'd be like, it would start off with, with a seed question, like, how was your day? And you would say, uh, it was okay. And the computer would say, in what way was it not okay? And you would say, well, I didn't like my lunch. And you'd be like, what didn't you, didn't you like about your lunch? And then mm-hmm. you'd get an, eventually you'd be like, well, my mother never loved me. And you'd be like, why do you feel like your mother never loved you? And it, it was a very, very simple algorithm, but people got really attached to it because it felt like the computer cared about what you were saying. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it was in no way empathic, but it felt on a deep level like mm-hmm. the computer was empathic. I think it's a series of checks. Like I, I've been recently reading a, a book called The Long Earth by uh, Terry Pratchett and Stephen Baxter. Mm. And, uh, there's an AI in that book. And what they basically did was they took a guy. Um, I can't remember where he was from. And I, I, uh, anyway, and they took a, a, a guy mm-hmm. and he, and they made him into an artificial intelligence. So the artificial intelligence was based on a specific human. Yeah. They mm-hmm. like copied his, everything about him and made it artificial. And yeah. Really like recreated, they re- recreated him as an AI. Right. And then they gave him full reign over supercomputers and distributed networks and all that sort of stuff. Um, but throughout the whole book, one of the main characters is essentially living with this artificial intelligence. And in his mind, he keeps checking off Turing tests. Like he keeps sort of saying like, okay, that was kind of cool. That seems like, I think I'm 
pretty convinced that he's real based on that thing he just did. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of like all these sort of checks throughout these months that he's living with the AI that he's going through and saying, yeah, I, I'm more and more convinced. But it takes a long time and a lot of interaction and a lot of living with this intelligence to get to the point where he's able to to himself like convince himself that it it is actually intelligent yeah and i think that's even that it's always going to be there's always going to be that question the niggling question of like okay i know that i'm self-aware i know that i'm conscious there are philosophers that argue that i don't even know that you pete are conscious and self-aware because i can't experience your self-awareness i am but a shadow on the wall yeah you you're you're just an automaton that perfectly emulates what i think is a human like it's be able to tell that difference is going to be a major, from a philosophical point of view, a major question about mm-hmm. what, whether you've created a true general intelligence. And it takes time. It's like you interact with me every day and every day I prove to you that I am intelligent. Yes. <laughs> sure. Let's, let's say that's what you prove every day. Um, okay. So we, we you want it's to talk working. about <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, we checked off all the things we wanted to talk about. Did we talk about like how robots or AI would learn, like how they make better themselves? So some of the some of the well, ways that AIs. Because it... I think that's a part of the fear is like when you say like, "Oh, they're learning how to do this." It's kind of like, "Oh God, they already have a brain. They're already so intelligent because they're learning." Well, I, I I think it would probably be a variation on the genetic algorithms and on like the robot that can experiment. It would say, okay, this is the goal I want to solve. I want to, if we took, we, if we gave, we took a robot and we, or we took an intelligence, a generalized intelligence. Okay. Sorry. No, we create a specialized intelligence. That's job is to emulate humans, to pretend to be a person. Mm -hmm. And then we give it the ability to experiment. And then it basically runs its own Turing tests and it says it tries it to something different and it says, okay, lots of people thought I was human, but not as many as when I did this. And then it starts combining different thing, different behaviors. Then what you're going to end up with, I think you, I don't know if you, if you end up with a true intelligence, but you end up with something that is teaching itself to be better at pretending to be a person. That's neat. Cause it also raises another topic that came up in this podcast I listened to, which was if you simulate as a very, very accurately an intelligence. So it's a simulation on a computer, but it's a very accurate simulation of intelligence. Mm-hmm. Is that artificial intelligence? Even if it's just, if, even if you know it's simulating it. Okay. Well, this is an interesting, okay. Th- this is an interesting question because I just played the Talos principle and it really messed with my brain because it's, <laughs> so the, the, pre- the premise of the game is that you're playing as a robot that is a, it's a robot that is the embodiment of an artificial intelligence that has been created by genetic algorithms and you solve a bunch of puzzles. It's the premise of the game is the puzzle game. And it's the, the idea is that you're solving puzzles to see if you have the intelligence to think creatively solve puzzles. But while you're doing it, there's this disembodied like God voice. That's like, do not go up the tower. There's a tower and it's like, do not climb the tower. And so obviously you being human, you say, ha, screw you. I'm going to climb the tower and you get to the top. And it turns out that that is the final test of the genetic algorithm is, do you have free will? Can you hmm. refuse to do what the voice says? And then that was that what they were trying to get to was an intelligence that can solve problems, but also has the ability to take, uh, despite all the information saying you shouldn't do this, do it anyway and see what happens. Yeah. That's um, good, and actually that's an interesting point. Cause that also means that it has the ability to not do what its human programmers tell it to do. Like that would be yeah. my question. But you say is a perfect simulation of intelligence 
is it capable of not doing what it's programmed not to do? simulating intelligence yeah could could it could it refute could it could it choose Whoa. not to, <laughs> could, could it choose not to be a perfect facsimile yeah, like yeah if you've programmed it to be a perfect facsimile could it fake it yeah or could it could it make the decision that it no longer needs to or that there's a better thing it could be doing and yeah. that would be the moment when you have intelligence that's really cool mm-hmm. along those same lines another thing that's kind of interesting which we even touched on in in victor's episode about how you design aircraft with flapping wings and things like that is that um a lot of argument has come up that the way that you would design an artificial intelligence is not for it to be human because a lot of the algorithms we use right now for learning and for artificial intelligence are based on human reasoning there are things like what's called reinforcement learning and what um paul talked about with genetic algorithms and um the strategies like biological neural networks for learning all sorts of stuff is all biologically inspired or human inspired learning and intelligence Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of argument now that if we do achieve general intelligence it will not be using those approaches the same way that if you achieve a flapping with aircraft it's not basing it off of birds or Mm -hmm. even an effective aircraft is not basing it off of birds Mm -hmm. initially like we said in that episode when people started to design airplanes, they thought, well, birds fly. Mm-hmm. Let's make artificial birds. Right. And that wasn't the right approach. And so to a certain extent, it, the same could be applied to artificial intelligence where we're saying, we think, let's make people. And that isn't the right approach. Uh, yeah. What I will actually not. be an effective general intelligence will not be a human approach. Oh my God, at least puppies. in terms of the... <laughs> <laughs> artificial puppies well, i mean at least in we terms did, we of did, we the, did the sorry go. at least in terms of the the algorithms like the the, the way that it, it processes intelligence mm-hmm. yeah we did have the one comment that couldn't you 3d print a puppy and part of the problem was that we, we could we wouldn't be able to like bring it to life but if we put an artificial puppy intelligence into a 3d printed puppy then is it a puppy what did i end up describing a 3d printed puppy as it was I don't like know. it was, it was like a silicon sack with full of organs, yeah, it was organs, organs. <laughs> yeah covered in latex or something <laughs> 3d printed plastic bones yeah. it was whatever and, it was no it muscles. grossed me out yeah. yeah no i don't know how to make muscles yeah i don't you can make muscles because they can 3d print not 3d print they can artificially create heart and a heart is basically a muscle. In um, any case, whatever you'd end up anyway. with, it'd be like an eldritch horror that should not be. That is a final, actually interesting thing, because we're talking about a lot of artificial intelligence in terms of it being a computer. Mm. Like that was, just, I was even just talking about algorithms. Mm-hmm. Can you grow a brain? Or could you artificially like engineer a, an animal to have a human level intelligence and therefore be artificially human level so intelligence? So genetically engineer an animal. Well, that, like that shows up. It's interesting because that shows up a lot in sci-fi. Uh, like they frequently refer to like you have human intelligence level dolphins and like arguably whether or not dolphins are already close to human intelligence. But their difference mostly is they give them the ability to speak and you start conversing with them and then they become more and more like people. Would that be artificial intelligence? It's naturally evolved, but dolphins probably wouldn't have gotten to the point where we would consider them people without some sort of intervention. Yeah, it's true. Or if you like create a dog that can talk or a dog that can solve, like, I guess dogs can already solve creative tasks. So it's a question of what, what is it missing to be a person in order Mm -hmm. to meet the artificial intelligence requirement? Mm -hmm. I, I'm still stuck in my mind now with the idea of like the whole track that we had got onto because of a a nice message from a listener on 3D printing puppies. Like (laughs) you can grow organs. They have that technology. Mm -hmm. Could you the same way that humans are made? Can you artificially create a human brain and then have it just magically 
become intelligent because the stem cells know what they're doing or the well, neurons know what they're doing. Mm, you and could like simulate growth. No, like you, cause it basically the way that they grow organs is they take, I believe stem cells and, um, they graft them onto a substrate that approximates what they think they're supposed to be like a, a biological substrate, like a 3d printed mesh. Mm-hmm. And then they basically grow, they grow into what they're supposed to be. Well, and you, so they, they have to add some sort of like, you start with a heart cell and you add a bunch of stem cells that then you're like, Hey, it's a heart cell. I'm going to grow into a heart. Yeah. And then you put it around, uh, a, like I've basically the shape of a heart mm. essentially. So your question is, could you do that with a brain and you end yeah. up with a functioning? Could brain? you make something mm-hmm. that's sort of that our brain cells surrounded by stem cells? Well, they've grown on the they've, shape of a brain and have it grow a brain. Well, they've grown like mouse neurons and attach them to robots and the robots go. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that is a type of artificial intelligence. Yeah. It's not the kind we're talking about, but, or but is that the ultimate answer? Is it, is it, we abandon trying to recreate, um, silicon based, human intelligence and just make biological human intelligence. That's an, I think that's an even bigger moral morass than the, oh, one, yeah. than the computer. Oh, one. Yeah. Then we're making people. That's just, I mean, right now my wife's making people, but she knows what she's doing. <laughs> well, I don't yeah, know what I'm doing. Her, 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 uh, her uterus knows what it's doing. Yeah. yeah. If you had to consciously control the process of making, oh like forming God. a human, can you imagine how horrible it would happen? <laughs> um, get distracted and your child has nine toes. Yeah, exactly. All right. I think that's the, our, our, div, our digression there probably means I think we said most of the things we want to say about I AI. I think so. I'm not sure we actually like reached any real, I, I, I can say with certainty that Simon's test for is it a, is it a computer is whether it has empathy and a sense of self. Cool. Now it, I don't think it's, I think it'll be impossible to tell, to test that, to separate it from a perfect facsimile of empathy and a sense of self. Mm-hmm. I think in the end from this episode, I think as with our goal for most episodes, we wanted people to theoretically think and learn things. And yeah. Yeah. I thought I learned things. No. Yeah. All, all we're, all we're doing is telling you this is the point of view of three engineers sitting in a room thinking about AI who yeah. sort of vaguely know things. People who, people who have uh, absorbed <laughs> lots of information and we are now, we are now simulating a, uh, a group of people who know what they're talking yeah. about. Yes. On that subject, Simon, hit me with a fact. Uh, ooh, ooh, I have a good one. Okay. Um, I was thinking about pirates the other day and, as uh, you do, as I do, I mean, pirates are just cool. And, uh, you ever wonder where the word swashbuckler comes from? Yes, I did. And it was actually really interesting. Cause like, it doesn't seem to have, I, I thought about it for a while trying to figure like swash, swash, like swab. Maybe they're like mopping. No, it is, it is similar. The word, it comes from two, an old English word, swash, which involves like the, uh, a collision of a body. So originally it was like waves running against rocks and give like a swish, like smashing sound. And eventually it became an old English word for anything, like a, something hitting something else. And so a buckler is a shield. And so a swashbuckler is one who uh, attempts to be imposing by hitting their shield. So you see the guy out in the field who holds huh. up his shield and hits it with like an axe or hits it with a sword. That is a swashbuckler. He's the guy who's hitting his shield to be imposing. I don't know why it ended up on pirates. I guess like bucklers were probably something you'd have on a ship when you were entering combat and you were trying to impose on people. But well, those be more like guidelines. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, that's where that word came from. I thought it was pretty cool. That is yeah. cool. I've been um, watching a lot of Pirates of the Caribbean. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seems like it would be a. Actually, I don't know where I was going with that sentence. 
Excellent. I had a failure of intelligence just now. Uh, Time to end. Yes. I'm failing to pretend to be a person who can have conversations. Uh, we'll probably cut it out, but I did that earlier too. Yeah. Anyway, cool. All right. So now, if you want to prove to us that you are people out there, you need to go onto the internet to Facebook <laughs> and you need to tell us your thoughts on AI. Yes. Prove to us that we're, it's not just us sitting in this room alone in the world, in the universe. Yeah. We, we, we need, we need some input so that we can, uh, so we can continue to do a better job of pretending to be intelligent species beings. Exactly. All right. So go on Facebook and comment or go to howdoyou.engineer and send us an email at feedback at how do you engineer? Mm-hmm. Yep. Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest are all slash how do you ench. Mm-hmm. So twitter.com slash how do you ench. Yep. And you can rate us on iTunes so that we will know that you like us and you can reinforce our pod- positive behavior. Yeah. <laughs> This was How Do You Engineer, brought to you by Spaghetti Squash.